Trendstorm. Welcome back to Trendstorm. Now let's take a look at the popular fury over the so-called Muslim ban. President Trump's controversial executive order to temporarily limit the entrance of select foreign nationals to the U.S. is turning into a larger-than-life scandal of epic proportions. Following through on yet another of his campaign promises, the new American leader banned people from seven countries from entering the U.S., building off of the list of supposedly terrorist-prone countries that his predecessor first identified. The immediacy of the order caught many people off guard, and there was confusion about whether it would apply to permanent residents, green card holders, already vetted refugees, and individuals in transit. Almost right after the announcement was made last Friday, thousands of people across the U.S. flocked to their local airports to protest against the measure, surprisingly defying what are ordinarily very strict security measures, which during regular times would prohibit such large-scale gatherings at critical national infrastructure locations. The protesters claimed that Trump had banned Muslims from entering the U.S., and the hashtag Muslim ban instantly started trending on Twitter. In defense of the motion, Trump and his surrogates said that most majority Muslim countries were untouched by the temporary border restrictions, pointing out that Indonesia, the world's most populous Muslim country, isn't on the list, for example. Moreover, in a cynical retort to the critics, they reminded the public that Obama had earlier suspended the U.S.'s refugee program for Iraqi nationals for half a year back in 2011, though no such protest erupted at that time. Nevertheless, it's hard for the Trump administration to shake the social media stigma that this is a Muslim ban, no matter how convincingly they may argue that it amounts to nothing more than a brief review period for high-risk countries prior to the implementation of what's being called extreme vetting. This is because the mainstream media is very sympathetic with what Trump and his spokespeople have termed as the political opposition, or the Democratic Party. The perception management and narrative building that these two institutions are known for was seen on full and vivid display during the presidential campaign, but it's gotten even worse, or better, depending on who you talk to, since Trump's election. Just like back then, however, it doesn't seem to be doing its intended job. Since a Reuters poll released on Tuesday, afterwards found that 49% of Americans are in favor of the president's action, while 41% are against. So to discuss this further in depth and add some insight into this matter, we're joined by Mr. Don DeBar. He hosts a syndicated daily radio newscast, CPR News, which is heard across the U.S. Hi, Don, and thanks for coming on my program. Okay, Don, do you think that this is a Muslim ban, extreme vetting, or is this something in between? It's an additional layer of vetting. You know, the interesting thing, that's the telling thing about the executive order that uh, everyone's out in the street about now is that uh, its essence, the part where it actually imposes this additional burden on uh, p- people who hold visas from the seven countries that are uh, at issue, there is a huge layer of bureaucratic burden on them already. A lot of these folks have been waiting a good long time as they were vetted in ways that against the international norms would be considered extreme for sure. Uh, Whether or not uh, it's warranted is a separate question because these countries, um, well, it's a legacy list, really. It wasn't assembled by Trump. In fact, uh, five of the seven countries are not even mentioned in the executive order, but rather by reference to a statute that was in effect uh, before Trump came into office. But uh, it's certainly not a Muslim ban. It, it, what it does, and it, it's not a ban of anyone, what it does is say that for a 90-day period, 
there's going to be an additional level of scrutiny, in other words, of inquiry about the identities and, uh, you know, the role that's been played by the people coming here from those countries. It excludes government officials from those countries, and it also excludes people involved in the U.S. war efforts. So uh, we've heard about uh, people that were translators for the U.S. government and such. That's the uh, two guys or the two folks from uh, that were in New York in the case that was brought in New York. But actually, once they're identified as people that worked for the U.S. military, they are waved in. So it's not a Muslim ban. Uh, it is extreme vetting, but it was extreme vetting before Trump became president. This is just an additional layer of review. Okay, well, how powerful of a role do you think the media has had in guiding the narrative on the issue? Because, I mean, because of the media, that's how we have this talk about a so-called Muslim ban. Yeah, I and mean, the role of the media in the United States has been to take an existing law uh, that's being invoked with an additional and relatively, you know, compared to the burden that already existed, a relatively minor additional burden, characterizing it as a Muslim ban um, and uh, using it as a lever to attack Trump as a racist and Islamophobe and such. When, in fact, again, the list of countries, first of all, which includes Iran, which seems bizarre, except that the list has had Iran on it since there was a list created by Jimmy Carter in 1979. You know, there has been no discussion of this issue whatsoever prior to January 20th. And um, the conditions, the law, everything was in place, including enforcement at various times by the Obama administration and others. You know, that stuff has all been happening. We've never heard that in the media before. We're only hearing now about this particular executive order. Trendstorm. We're joined by Mr. Don DeBar. He hosts a syndicated daily radio newscast, CPR News, which is heard across the U.S. Yeah, one of the things I find to be pretty interesting is for as much as the media is attacking Trump, we see from a new Reuters poll that 49% of the country supports the president's measures, while, you know, 41% are against it. But the media is full of images of people protesting in airports and stuff like that. So in your opinion, with your estimation, what's the real level of support and opposition to this move? Well, it's difficult to tell. First of all, people are coming to an awareness of the problem, quote unquote, completely decontextualized from its history. And also, you know, there are many more urgent needs in, you know, facing more immediately urgent needs facing, you know, many, many millions of people in the United States, such as eating, getting health care like that they need urgently today, the burden of debt from their kids, education, all of this. So uh, it's difficult to parse, you know, how people feel about this and how strongly they feel about it. But the interesting dynamic is that the media has not learned its lesson from the election and even earlier. The American people in general completely and totally distrust the American media. And so if the attempt was to raise objection to Trump's executive order, merely by bringing it up and attacking it, they've actually you know, begun to produce automatic support from a broad sector of Americans. That's how they got Trump elected. It's the same thing. People don't trust the media. And when people are ignorant of something like most Americans are of most international issues, then they say, well, if they're against it, it must be a good thing. I'm for it. Okay, Don, thank you very much for that. We were happy to have had you on the show and your ideas were very interesting as usual. So now we're going to move over and, uh, Turn to Mr. Patrick Henningsen. He's founder and executive editor of 21stCenturyWire.com, and he hosts the Sunday Wire show. Hi, Patrick. Uh, thanks for coming on my program. 
Transstorm. Okay, Patrick, you know, the, the country's already real polarized, and the Democrats, which Trump is now calling the opposition, have been want, waiting for something that would unify their base. And lo and behold, right now comes the so-called Muslim ban or extreme vetting. So in your opinion, how wise of a move was it for Trump to implement this executive order so soon after taking office? I think the main problem with this, I mean, the content of it, uh, you can argue and debate about. Um, it is a carryover from the previous administration's policy. However, how it was implemented uh, was a little bit harsh, to say the least. I think it was a poor rollout. There was no communication at all. It was announced on a Friday. No text was put up on the WhitehouseGov website, and they left uh, the media to languish over the weekend. And uh, all of a sudden, protests seemed to have sprung up out of nowhere, and general chaos ensuing at places like airports and really important transportation hubs and things like this. This could have all been avoided. And so this is kind of a situation you could, could call incompetence or not uh, being professional uh, in the communication of, from the executive office. So. Uh, not good, sort of handed the opposition a gift on a plate, as it were. Um, so from a political point of view, bad score there. But when you af after the dust settles on this, we're back to policy again. And so there are some fundamental flaws uh, in this. It is, they say it's not a Muslim ban, but in reality, um, if you read the text, uh, it does imply uh, that uh, they'll be trying to, quote, rescue uh, persecuted religious minorities. And they're really, they're talking about rescuing Christians and bringing them home to America, as it were. And this follows a sort of a pattern uh, that we've seen uh, in other conflicts and it kind of patronizing to the people on the ground and ignores the fact that uh, Muslims themselves are being persecuted uh, in places like Syria, not because of their religious beliefs and Christians, but because they support a secular government in Syria. And again, if you ignore this fundamental aspect, and it really shows that a lack of grip on the situation that this Trump administration probably has, and they're settling into old positions, which are neoconservative positions, uh, promoting sectarianism in the Middle East. So again, no change in U.S. policy on a deep level, uh, only surface talk and change on the surface. So uh, it doesn't really help the situation. It seems like they're positioning themselves to continue on a failed policy. Yeah, I mean, there are definitely some people that are upset about this, but there have also been people that have been upset at Trump ever since, you know, he first got elected. I mean, we saw a few protest movements pop up against him, such as the Women's March, the immediate post-election disturbances. But so far, nothing really seems to stick or have any real staying power and poses a serious threat to his presidency or is able to even pressure him in any way. So do you think that'll also be the same case of the people protesting this uh, so-called Muslim ban or extreme vetting, what have you? Or do you think it'll die out uh, soon enough? I mean, what's your take on the future of these people that are protesting this specific measure? I think the protests will continue. I think uh, they might intensify in certain areas. If you look at what happened uh, in, at UC Berkeley on the campus uh, only this week and at Portland International Airport, we have real serious uh, violence. So what you have now is you have an anti-Trump uh, lobby on social media who are uh, cheering on uh, people getting beaten. And all it's going to take is really one person gets killed uh, or someone's named for life. And then, you know, everybody who's cheerleading the violence there's blood, effectively blood on their hands at that point. And then you have potential for some real uh, civil unrest uh, if the other side strikes back, for instance, in re retribution. So a very bad situation. But this whole protest culture was really um, promoted and encouraged after eight years of the Obama Eric Holder administration, where they helped to amp up faux protests over really uh, spurious issues regarding Ferguson. 
uh, with the whole hands up, don't shoot mythology that never happened, but yet was used as the rallying cry uh, for massive unrest across the country. That was promoted by Eric Holder, Attorney General, and the President himself, Baltimore as well. That was an, a non-event that got overblown into a politicized race uh, riot event, and then Sanford, Florida, same sort of thing, injecting politics unnecessarily into issues that were really local, civic, and uh, criminal proceedings. This, unfortunately, this gave a lot of uh, encouragement to protest mobs and allowed them to organize uh, through MoveOn.org and other George Soros-funded uh, outlets. And uh, the, the Muslim ban protests by George Soros, we have a number of groups that they're all basically backed by George Soros, National Immigration Law Center, Urban Justice Center, American Civil Liberties Union, of course, and Make the Road Advocacy Group, and many others, all Open Society Foundation backed, just like on the Women's March in D.C., where 50-plus groups had George Soros-linked or affiliated NGOs involved in the organization of that. So this isn't going anywhere, really. It's going to probably increase because they have nothing else to do uh, in opposition, but this will ultimately damage the Democratic Party. It will split it into splinter it, and it will become a competition for who is the most extreme uh, leaders or the most vociferous leaders, much in the same way the Republican Party was split in two and three parts uh, during the rise of the Tea Party uh, post-2009, and that was ultimately damaging for uh, the Republican Party in the short term. So if this continues, you can kiss any Democratic uh, presidency presidency run uh, in 2020. Goodbye. Won't happen. But it could be used, however, to mobilize seats in the House uh, and possibly even the Senate if they're running some of these extreme candidates in the primaries and they do get sort of traction. But again, I think it's going to splinter because Democratic Party has the problem with identity politics. That's going to be the, the overall consuming issue on their side is, you know, what color, what gender is the candidate, and they'll fight with each other like crazy over this. And it, it will take them four or five years to figure out that identity politics maybe is not the best way to go in terms of the unification of the party and making a serious challenge of the leadership in the next election cycle. Okay, Patrick, uh, thanks very much for that. Uh, you added a lot of food for thought for our listeners to chew over. Thank you very much. And now, just to wrap everything up and bring together what both of our guests said, yeah, I mean, what Donald Trump had implemented is very controversial. There's no doubt about it. But at the end of the day, these protests are 100% politicized, even if some people do have the right intent behind them. But what we need to keep in mind, though, is that the media is guiding events and that people that are protesting against Donald Trump, they should keep in mind what's going on in the larger picture so they don't get sucked into a larger movement that they don't even understand. So, guys, if you want to sound off on this and share what you think about the topic, please send us an email at radio.sputniknews.com or find us on Facebook. Stay with us.